Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood of Richards. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Pull up Grayson's email. You off. You can't access your video. What the hell? Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Let me get everything squared away. Grayson King. Thank you so much. Dog is settling down. Cody Heidschmidt is here. He is not on a river catching brown trout and taking terrible photos. Cody Heidschmidt, welcome back. Not yet, but I will be before the day's over. Oh, you're not back yet? No, I'm not on the river yet today. I will be before the day's <laughs> over. Oh, sorry. Take your hat off again, man. It looks like you're in desperate need of a little bit of a ear lowering. Yeah, it's bad. The beard is completely out of control. Uh, my wife won a uh, won an award from work that we we go to California for a ceremony thing, and she's usually like uh, I get little jabs every once in a while about my hair and beard when they get yeah. out of control. But I got the uh, I got the firm order before we go to California that uh, everything needs to be trimmed up, and I need to look a little bit more like an adult. Well, since you brought up awards, literally five, three minutes before this podcast started, you know how we've got two films right now in the film festival space, right? Right. We've got Wire and Water, which is about Southern Zimbabwe and how this person, as Guav Johnson and his family have come back into an area working with the community and like, uplifting the community and whatnot. So just a, a sort of classic story of what's happening in Africa. And we've got Lionheart is also in the film festival circuit. Right. But we just received an email from the Central Florida Film Festival, a film festival that's been running for 18 years, that we have been officially selected for screening of wine water at the film festival. Excellent. That's a good one, Huge. too. Like I look at wire and water as the counter 
to all the people that claim that African hunting, you know, there's so many people that like there. When when we try to make the case that good legal um, controlled hunting in Africa is good for the community, somebody went and did you know some kind of a study. I won't get too or people have counters for that people are like yeah well none of the money nothing actually benefits the community uh, um and i think wire and water is a pretty good uh video example that uh it does in fact benefit the community that the that the local people benefit uh in more ways in several ways um from uh the good hunting operations in africa yeah for sure yeah, it's a, it's a great, you know, it's sort of validation. It's the first film we ever created. Um, obviously going to get much better from here on out, but it's, it's winning awards. So yeah, absolutely. Very cool. People will see it most importantly. Yeah, exactly. And the people that we want to see it, right? Central Florida. I don't know. Probably, you know, it's not a, a stronghold of hunters. Maybe not. Well, but all these film festivals aren't typically especially these kinds of film festivals are not your run-of-the-mill hunting community kind of scenario. And I don't think any hunting films have ever been submitted to these film festivals. Even if any have, there, there hasn't been very many, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, that's our, that's our, that's our mission. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not uh, exclusively creating content for hunters. We want folks outside of that realm to see it and, uh, and at least have a chance to view the message we're trying to, trying to portray. Yep. Yep. So anyway, good news. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know, you always in this film festival sort of scenario, you have to look at some, you know, there's a, it's a racket Well, it's not really a racket. It's a business. The film festival circuit is a business and people make a lot of money from it. And there's, you know, we've talked about sort of strategies before on, on this podcast. And there's certain ones that you submit that are like two years old or three years old. I'm never, I've been told don't ever submit to ones that are like brand new. Right. But this one's 18 years old. So, dang. Yeah. So good. Seems like an old, uh, seems like a long running film fest. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, we mi I missed you last week. I had to go solo. I uh, forgot that you were in Montana. Um, did you get a lot of text messages? I asked people to text message you. Um, no, not, not, Damn. not, 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 not a lot. No, I do have, um, couple. Well, let me tell you, let me be completely honest with you. Got a new phone. Which, uh, getting a new phone is, what I have to keep content, keep thinking about in my head is, you remember like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago when you got a new phone and you had to plug your old phone into the computer and transition to everything. Oh, it, it was, it's way better now, um, as a process when you get a new phone, but still 100% a uh, pain in the ass to get back logged into everything and I don't really give it enough priority um, so I'm in the process of like I got the new phone last night so I'm still in the process of logging back in we did get a uh, a uh, couple of tech one from Tin in Saskatchewan recommending a link that I just now have to admit that I have a pre-read so we'll do that next time around um, but that's it so far. We got a text well, from Dave in Indiana who uh, said, I heard Robbie talking about sprinkling some weird Australian or South African chocolate drink mix in his toast as a kid. Nice. And it worked out that my son, being Dave's son from Indiana, has just discovered Nesquik at his friend's house. So it isn't great, but it isn't terrible either way and way better than Vegemite, that's for sure. So, well, it is not something that you... Nesquik on bread, yes, white bread with a lot of butter. I, I, I revealed this 
delicacy to the world after the Australian trip, but was very, uh, I, I, I was very poignant in terms of why we were eating what we were eating. It was a last ditch effort at trying to get some sort of dessert in place. And that is what Nesquik on bread is for. It's not a standard staple everyday kind of eat. Some To some people, maybe it is. But it is not amazing, but it's not terrible. It's just to fill a niche of a sweet kind of dessert needed in the bush with desperate, you know, under desperate measures. Right, right. Well, Dave from Indiana is a fan. Have I told my, uh, so we have a, uh, what, or did I already talk about the Australia connection that happened in the last couple of weeks for me? Yeah, well, so I, um, we didn't talk about it, but we can. Um, Shane Broadby is a big fly fisherman in Tasmania, and you let it be known that you're a fly fisherman. And then another guy who, here's the other interaction with Wayne. So Wayne Terrell is good mates with Shane Broadby. Wayne knows about Blood Origins. Wayne's got a best mate that lives in, uh, like Canton, Mississippi, or... Right, yeah, somewhere in Mississippi, yeah. In Mississippi. So he's like, oh, I know all these towns that you're in. I was like, I'm going to be in Mississippi in three months' time. I was like, this is craziness, right? From Tasmania, Australia. But the dude loves to fly fish. He loves to hunt. Was his wife with him? Absolutely. And I think, uh, like, Wayne uh, has a lot of stories. He's been been around the world, done fly fishing everywhere. Um, But the funny thing that I want to note is if Wayne listens to this, um, Wayne's, oh, Wayne's got, everywhere he goes, he has great pictures, which I love. Um, but the pictures are always of his wife holding a giant fish that she's caught. So I just wanted to point out that I do believe that it's possible that uh, Wayne's the driver and his wife fishes because the, <laughs> the, the pictures are, are always of his wife. No, that's not, that's not true. But here's the real small town, the, or the world is a small place story. Shane contacts me and asks me if I live in Colorado. And I said, yeah. Um, and he said he has a friend that's coming up here. Um, would he mind if his friend, you know, called to see if there was some form of a connection or we could get together and have a beer or something? And uh, so Wayne, Wayne calls. I, I get a call um, on my phone, you know, with the Australian country code on it. It's an international call. And... Uh, answer it he introduces himself um and he asked me he goes Bodie do you know where Florence Colorado is I'm no like, way. I'm like you gotta be shitting me Wayne I'm like that's I I don't live in Florence but I have a Florence address and I'm I'm 15 miles outside of town Wayne owns a truck a pickup that's registered in Florence Colorado because it's a friend that he stays with and kind of bases with um, over here when he's in the States lives about two and a half miles from me, just down the road. Um, so, yeah, it, it, what it, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of small world occurrences in my life where somebody I know knows somebody. Um, but getting a call from Tasmania asking me if I knew where, like, there's a lot of people in Colorado. Probably 80% of the population in Colorado never heard of Florence, Colorado. Um, <laughs> and I get a call from a guy in Tasmania who has a truck registered here. Um, so yeah, Wayne, Wayne and, his, and his wife came down and uh, we went and had a beer. It didn't work out when we were able to uh, get on the river together. But next time, and also uh, probably... Probably my my mind is racing on uh, how I figure out a way to get to Tasmania to, to catch big brown trout. I think so. Uh, that will probably happen in the next uh, couple of years. And there's some great brown trout. You know, based on what Shane Broadby, you know, his pictures, it's a phenomenal fishery. Yeah, it sure seems like it. They have, and uh, you know, I mean, why? What a better reason to 
get on a really long airplane flight and go down there. Well, and there's also some good fallow deer hunting. So Yeah, I think I, I have this plan. I don't know when I'm going to enact it or I need to uh, get my wife on board. It's really the barrier right now, but I'd like to go down there for, for you know, four or six weeks and mm-hmm. roam around and catch trout and do a little hunting and see some of the uh, people. I know uh, I have a couple of personal connections down there, and then we have some phenomenal uh, blood origins connections down there. And I think maybe I could uh, just kind of roam around the continent and run into people that I that I could make a connection with and they'd feed me or something. Yeah, I totally think that would work out brilliantly. Totally work out brilliantly. Um, well, if we've gone through the text messages, just big shout out to our conservation club members. Uh, Adam Clement Safaris has been with us for quite some time. Uh, Preston Holdren at Garland Animal Wellness. Uh, Sig Sauer. Hopefully Sig Sauer comes back as a conservation club. I know that they had uh, redirected some funds, but uh, hopefully in the future they'll be back. But they did support us uh, pretty substantially in the beginning. So still want to say thank you to them um before we dive into the article uh which is obviously a lot of stuff is uh circling around colorado it's going to circle for the next 14 months around it um i do want to give an update uh we released a video on the catalina island conservancy's plan of total deer eradication on the island of Catalina. And uh, this week, things have heated up uh, in that arena. Um, I watched a city council meeting in Avalon, which is the city on the island of Catalina, in which the CIC, which is the Catalina Island Conservancy, presented their plans for eradication, uh, which includes sterilization, the use of sentinel deer, Darting and euthanasia of city deer, and then sharpshooters out of helicopters, and then on the ground sharpshooters with thermal um, on the island of Catalina. What are sentinel deer? It, it so the idea the, I mean, there, I pack deer. <laughs> so the idea there is, I believe, to capture a doe and put a collar on that doe and monitor that doe to um so when she comes into reproductive cycling that then they can monitor her and see if any bucks are attracted to her essentially um same thing as like what they're doing for pythons i haven't seen any data and science around that model or that management technique um, I do know of, I do know of specific work done on like sterilization of bucks on Long Island, um, but that did not work at all. So, um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. There's certainly a, a huge, you know, the, the sort of... Sh- the boots on the other foot, if you can call it a little bit that, you know, hunting typically is always embroiled in a, um, PR issues, PR problems. And here we've actually got like a massive PR storm on the horizon. With because their plan is eradication, their plan is extermination. Zero deer left on the island. There should be a compromise. There probably needs to be a compromise. Or what we're suggesting, or what I said in my video that has gained some traction, is put in a. You know, their argument is we've been waiting so long. It's been twenty-five years of damage. The deer have been there since nineteen twenty-nine. It's irrevocable at this stage. We need to do something now. Well, if it's irrevocable at this stage, then another five years is not going to do anything different than where we're at right now. And so our plan, our thought pattern was, let's put in a five-year management plan. Let's bring in, sure, bring in some sharpshooters and eradication to 
you know, suppress the population. Let's bring in hunters. Let's increase hunter recruitment and hunter involvement. Let's utilize the meat. Let's have a win, 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 win across the board. And in those five years, put in a true science-based management plan that has vegetation transit, show change in biodiversity, show change in, in plant biomass, show change in deer structure and surveys and the population estimates. And after five years, if the vegetation has not responded the way that the conservancy is looking for it to respond, okay, then everyone's on the same page. We need to do, we need to up the level of deer control maybe to a point of eradication. And it's a completely open, transparent, five-year process. Everyone's involved, all the stakeholders involved. Do a structured decision-making process right on the front end that involves the citizens of the island, the conservancy, hunter interests, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, all of that. Bring it all in together. Now, there are, it's not as simple as just that, right? Catalina Island Conservancy is a private landowner. They're a 501c3 with a very specific mission. And that mission is to preserve the beauty of the island of Catalina, which includes the plant diversity and the unique endemic plants that only occur on the island of Catalina. I get it. We're not in like a dire crisis, this has to happen today mode. This, you, may, you might have been there in the 1960s. Okay, so but, here's, I, I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate a little bit um, and also unburdened by any actual knowledge of the situation. But there is hunting operations on Catalina, right? Um, Correct. 200 year about every year are taken. The actual hunter harvest rate on Catalina sits around, I think the average, based on the data that I've seen, is about 68%, 69% in terms of your uh, tag fill rate, uh, percentage rate. Right. And I, I wonder if, well, if, here's the point. If, 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 if we're going to try and pull this off, we just need to come with a plan that works for their goals. Because I do very much think on an island, when you have a, you know, whatever you want to call it, a relocated species, there's probably multiple people referring to these deer as invasive species, whatever, whatever term applies to them. Now, I wonder if the, you know, it just needs to be the hunting, I think was probably seen as a means to control them at one point. Um, you know, I don't believe that the people of Catalina are probably big pro-hunting people. Um, I mean, I don't think that they brought the hunting out for their enjoyment and novelty. I think they allowed it to happen to control the deer population. Um, well, they allow hunting. The, you know, this, the, the citizens of Catalina do hunt. They've got a specific season for them. Um, all the comments that I heard last night in the city council meeting were not against hunting. They were against mass eradication. Right. And I, I just, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think there's definitely a way where, you know, you could even, it could even be a fundraiser for a charity. You know, if you needed to get people out there and, and get more hunters out there or allow more deer to be taken or, or whatever the scenario, I don't, it always seems weird to me what I guarantee you, if you gave me a green light, if you just said, hey, Cody, as long as these people can, are legal hunters in the state of California, yeah. um, you can take them out there um, at, at, at no fee or at a small fee, right? We can't make it $10,000 tags and expect that we're going to find people to eradicate these deer. But you could go and do this. And even if the Catalina Conservancy didn't want to make some money, we could we could give some money to a nonprofit by selling the access to do this for X amount of dollars. The way to get it done with citizens, as opposed to spending, especially when people just start talking about helicopters. I think so many people don't really understand the expense of putting a helicopter in the air. You know, 
Um, they, I, well, to your point, a question came up in the city council meeting by a city councillor saying, how much is this operation going to be? And the response was millions. Yeah, 100%. And the response from the city councilman was, oh, can we not invest those millions into increasing hunter engagement? Now, I want to be very careful here because there is good science out there that shows when control-type programs are put out, I think it's like 77, 78% of them fail when only involving recreational hunting. And the reason being is that for the most part, there is no incentive driving recreational hunters to elevate their game. And when I say elevate their game, elevate the number of deer taken, the work that it takes to get those deer out, all of that kind of stuff. When you fold it into a a sort of a balanced management approach that may include some chopper work, may include elevated recreational hunting, may include an incentive-based system, and maybe that incentive is, you know, you're going to win something to to go out there, you know, minimal cost, but when you're out there, we, you need to take three animals. Um, yeah, there's lots of scenarios here. I don't, and I think that there's an opportunity here. I don't, I don't, uh, I almost said I, I don't agree with your science. I don't, I, I don't, let, let me give you, Cody, let, let me give you this on. example. Let's be honest, man. If you need to take five deer off a landscape, it's all good and well. It's fun to shoot the first one. It may be fun to shoot the second, the third, fourth, and fifth. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this because it's fucking a lot of work. Yeah, but that's, it, it, it's because of the lack of, a lack of good communications and marketing. Tell me this, if Catalina gave, gave blood origins to go ahead to take as many deer as they wanted to, and we made it a project, we made it a thing where we're going to reduce the, the deer population on Catalina Island, we could communicate that out, develop a project, recruit people, and take a couple hundred people out there over the course of a few months, and really, it, and you know, each one of them can take as many as they want, but they they need to take two. I'm making things up on the fly here. It, the reason that hunters don't reduce populations efficiently in the examples that you've given is because of a lack of recruitment and communication to hunters. And I'll guarantee you, I mean, I'll guarantee you right now, if Catalina gave me the go-ahead, I'd find 100 people and we'd take, I'd find X number of people and we'd take as many deer off of there as they want to. If I had to find 200, 300, uh, there's enough hunters just within driving distance of the ferry to get that done. You know, it may be, maybe we ask the people of Catalina to give them a voucher at a restaurant while they're out there you know i mean you get to go out and have a dinner and take a couple of deer or we we raise some money to cover some of the processing for folks that can't process. you know it's 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 not because it's because in the instances or it's my assumption that in the instances where they're saying that hunters um aren't aren't a viable solution to reducing population, that's because it wasn't organized and communicated, in my opinion. Because I, I think you're crazy. I, I'll find ten guys that'll go out there and take twenty deer a piece if you let them. Not, not yeah, everybody. but there's also, you know, you gotta, you gotta factor in. It's a really harsh landscape, really difficult hunting. There's a reason why the harvest percentage is at sixty-eight percent, and that includes really good years of rainfall which means there's a lot of deer on the landscape for the majority these guys are like at 60 percent take those are bucks those are guys no no bucks and does bucks yeah uh, okay whatever i have i'll come up with a thousand dollars cash that i'll guarantee i can go out there and go to catalina island (laughs) and get a doe in the first 24 hours Every time. Holy. Yeah, okay. I don't. Okay. Okay. I I've, I've literally watched them walk around at the streets of Avalon Bay, right? Yeah, you can't hunt I mean, in the city. You can't well, hunt in the city. I, I'll hunt you on have the, to be out behind in the island. 
month on the on the edge of the limits and I what again I'm that's what I'm saying is is we're talking about meat hunting here, which is way better for reducing population numbers than uh-huh. just harvesting mature buck. Um, uh-huh. And I'll guarantee you, the vast, the, everyone that I know, and I know several people, um, Daryl Carver hunts Catalina Island almost every year. Um, and it's kind of a, uh, the, the, the Harrison family, Jason's dad, um, it's very yeah. much a long-standing tradition of his to go out there and hunt, um, <laughs> hunt them as well. But they're not seeing the pictures. They're 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 not out there working for population control. They're they're taking mature bucks. No no not. <laughs> but that's what <laughs> they went out there for. But yeah if, yeah. If you told me, hey, let's organize this and we're going to put a you we could put a group of veterans together and go out there and. You know, I mean, guys that that I know can shoot and will walk and will clean their own deer, um, and put a whacking on that. If with that as the goal, population reduction, um, that to me it's just it's not it's not communicated well. There's a thing here in Colorado where they take sharpshooters, but I love that Colorado. Um, allows any citizen to come into a range, bring their rifle, and qualify to become a sharpshooter. Meaning, they're going to take you out, and you're going to go to places where specific, very specific places, the elk herd has gotten too large for the ecosystem, and take animals out. Um, And CPW is always upset because there's not enough people involved in it. Well, they don't tell anybody, right? They don't, they don't tell anybody. They do crazy things like the qualification to become a sharpshooter is at 9.30 a.m. on a Wednesday. Well, you're, you're, you're really not working with people there. You know, it, it's hard. I, I agree that they should have to qualify. They go to a range. They've got to shoot a certain number of rounds at a certain distance at a certain amount of time and make hits. And then they can go out and help cull the herd. But they don't. They're not working very hard to make it easy for people to help with that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you do those things, I'll guarantee you. Now, someone would have to, you know, give me control of it, but someone give me control of it. We could, in a safe and organized way, go out there and really lower the population, the long-term population. I mean, you got to take does out if you want to. If you, if you want to lower the long-term population. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we certainly, I think, again, a five-year management plan with good structure, with good decision-making, with all stakeholder in- input, um, and that's sort of very publicly transparent in terms of, again, science and data driving the system for both a vegetation perspective and a deer perspective. Totally agree. You can lift hunter um, engagement as needed and maybe it's a you know to your point give us the benefit of the doubt year one year two year three and in year three if the numbers are not if the numbers are not there bring in the choppers and let's start putting the population where we think we need it needs to be yeah hundred percent the whole sterilization sentinel deer, like, nah, that all. I think like that, a, that I think the whole like helicopter thing and whatnot. That's the least controversial part of this. It's as you mentioned, it's the town deer on how you take them out. But so Canyon City, Colorado, which is like if we're going to the big town, we're going to Canyon City. That's where our Walmart is, right? You're right, right. They now have a tag, an archery tag. It's a draw tag, but as far as I know, everyone that's ever applied for it has gotten it. Your feet have to, it's an archery tag, and your feet have to be four feet off the ground, and all city limit restrictions are eliminated. You, you can, on Main Street, 
stand on your back porch as long as your your back porch is 48 inches off the ground, which is actually a cool rule that I like. Because then your arrow is is going down. Your arrow is in a downward trajectory to the deer, and you know it's massive safety increase shooting a bow in town if you're pointed down. Um, and I mean, that's the solution right there. I know all kinds of guys. Some of the biggest mule deer I have ever seen in my life were in front yards on in neighborhoods, not suburbs. Like, yeah, I don't think the citizens of Avalon would be. Well, for I, that. I think you probably have a different level of mentality where most of the folks in Canyon City, Colorado are. Or eating deer, not, uh, not most, but I, I think there's, there's more of a pro hunting, you know, we would be okay with the deer with an arrow through it, runs through our fence and we have to fix it kind of thing, which is obviously going to happen, but uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's, there's methods to do it. And, and once you start, um, a huge fan of the concept of habitualization that you start harvesting deer in the city limits. It's not just the deer that you take out that are no longer going to, they're, they're in your backyard because they feel safe in your backyard is why they're there. <laughs> and <laughs> once you make them, you know, constructively afraid, horrible phrase, I just made that up. Constructively what, 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 once you make them afraid of, a, of an area, you know, then you get them back out into the hunting realm and, and you eliminate that there's solutions to this. It's just, it's just, uh, politics. And then I'll never understand the, the let's fire up choppers, um, and, and go for it. Then the other thing that we have to know, and this is, this is legitimate. And I, I am not calling out any of the hunting operations on Catalina because I just don't know any of them. So there's no judgment being passed here. But I have seen hog operations where guys started hog hunting operations, got everyone around them to kind of buy into it because they were going to eradicate the hogs. Um, and once you put that financial incentive behind it, a lot of times what they do is they start managing the hogs and not eradicating the hogs. Um, and that happens. Not all of them, but some of them. Some of the hunting operations are like, well, I don't really want to kill all the hogs because people yeah. are paying me money to kill hogs. Um, yeah. So you have to find a, a balance there of, I think, hogs and the deer on Catalina are two great examples where there needs to be way less of them. That's mm-hmm. that's a thing I believe in. Um, and so, anyway, I think it'd be cool. I certainly think that the outfitter is not under a eradication mandate from CIC, but rather a management mandate from CIC. I also strongly believe that your scenario of increasing hunters onto the island and the current hunter uh, recruitment, hunter involvement in the island and the subsequent sort of ecotourism, economic driver of that, um, you know, for a small town like Avalon is, is probably substantial. You know, I always talk about small towns and the pies of economic sort of GDP of a town. The smaller the town, the the more valuable that slice of the pie is. And yeah. So you take that slice of the pie out. Very. What do you mean? Very, yeah, what? Avalon Bay is not your typical town. Oh, yeah, but the very, guys are still spending money. Very wealthy, very, very wealthy community. Um, I've been out there, and so I, I don't know. There's probably folks in there that are m- more so than your sm- most small towns. There's people that are absolutely willing to not have the income from from that. I, my, my point is I agree with you 99.9% of the time. It's not as, as uh, legitimate of an argument. Um, in Avalon Bay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So yeah, that's what's happening. Catalina Island. Um, sort of things are happening right now. Lots of conversations are happening right now. Lots of discussions are happening right now. Uh, so we'll stay on top of it and see where it goes. Hopefully, uh, what comes of it is 
an absolute opportunity for a win-win-win of stakeholder involvement across the board. But completely get, and we've said this before, Cody, and you've said it multiple times, Catalina Island Conservancy is a private landowner of 88% of the island of Catalina with, as a 501c3 with a very specific mission and mandate. And so if you go along the sort of private land model of private land owners being able to do what they want with the land, it's another sort of interesting curve wrench that's thrown into this whole scenario. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting thing. And it seems to me that I, that a lot of people have, uh, the right intentions, right? Like, I, I think this is, there's a lot of people that are kind of, uh, on a path that I admire, just trying or have a destination that I admire, just trying to find the right path there. And here's something I, I will end with is that I think everybody, everybody involved in this conversation have good intentions. Catalina Island Conservancy, the stakeholders, the citizens of Avalon, the California Deer Association, everyone have good intentions and, you know, want to come to a, the best solution they possibly can. Hopefully they will. Uh, so just a quick update um, around Colorado. Um, that's going to continually be something that we'll talk about in the next 14 months. Um, not much movement on the sort of ballot initiative front. We did hear that um, the proponents, you did have a meeting with the Legislative Council staff. They did get some feedback on the language of the proposed ballot initiative. That language has been incorporated into the ballot initiative. And so now that language is going to move forward to the title board. I do not know when the title board next meets. I believe it's like October the 22nd, but I'm not sure if they got it within the two-week time frame that the title board requires it to be. So it's either going to happen at the end of October or it's going to happen in the beginning of November. Do you know any update there, Cody? No, I mean, I, okay. I, I knew that, but I don't know the uh, actual time frame. At some point, there's nothing it? really happening other than that right now. So, we're, you know, just to keep everyone in the loop. The other thing that I, I was quite um, surprised, I would say, and maybe you've got a little bit more context here. Surprised, pleasantly surprised. Um, personally, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Give me a little bit of hope, maybe, that the Denver Post, you know, the Denver Post was the first sort of paper in Colorado to push out this whole, here comes the trophy hunting ban. And I believe the Denver Post, in their opinion piece, was the one who published the Carol Baskin piece as well. And so I was like, oh, okay, they've made, they've staked their ground. This is where they're going to be, you know. But they posted an opinion piece in, as an opinion columnist by Krista Kafer. Uh, she's a columnist for the Denver Post, a very uh, regular columnist. And her opinion, activists don't understand the science of mountain lion hunting and management. And it was a very pro mountain lion hunting piece. Gave me hope that they're like, well, we're going to tell both sides. Your thoughts there, since you live there, you know more about the Denver Post than I do. Um, I wouldn't say that I do because of the amount of time I spend ignoring the news. But uh, the, uh, yeah, I, I read, I did read that article. Um, I think it's a very sound article. I do think that there's enough, um, there's enough doors people. And there's enough kind of believers in science. Like, we have this weird conundrum that I completely... <clears throat> I like the process of the citizens of Colorado being able to put something on a ballot. I think that that is 
democracy in action. I don't like when 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 regular citizens decide to override science to do something like that. Um, I don't think that science and and biology-based decisions should be being made by one more than half of the general public. Um, but I, I, I think there's enough You're in people. a conundrum then. You're in a conundrum then because no, you're, I know. you're it, advocating it, for the democ- democratic process of, you know, if you have an issue, come forward. But then in this scenario, you know, it's, it's, and I know people are protected this way. And maybe this is like an ultra crazy idea, but it's almost like, and I, I know you couldn't do it. You pro- well, I, I would hope that you couldn't do it, but it's like someone in, in the state of Colorado saying, I don't like religion X and I want to put a ballot initiative forward it to get rid of religion X in the state of Colorado. Okay, a horrible example because religion X is protected by the United States Constitution. Well, that's what I said. It's the religion is protected by the Constitution. That's what I was... And that's where you you give people the ability to put it on the ballot. Um, I mean, you could take, take it... The people of Colorado, the, the people of Colorado couldn't um, decide to put on a ballot initiative to take away women's right to vote either because it's protected by the constitution and and, and as americans we be these things are solid you can't you can't mm-hmm. use small state initiatives or local initiatives to attack these things that's the joy of our constitution um i think the answer to you're right i do have a conundrum because i think the process is good of the people having a voice and being able to implement something if the congressional house of, of of Colorado doesn't do that, um, but I, and but I also don't think they should mess in science. I think the answer is education. It, the answer is truly what this article that you're discussing talked about. I think right, and I'll, I'll it's a thing that I believe, but it's I when I say believe, meaning I don't have the data to support it, but I really do think it's true that there's this chunk of people. Is eighty percent of the people in the middle um, who are not passionate about the subject of mountain lion and bobcat hunting, um, and it's education that gets them to vote the correct way on a thing like this. It's it's them actually getting the facts and the data that get them to vote the right way, and that you know that's how you solve my conundrum. Is, is education and get people to make educated votes. I think when all the information is out there, um, I believe in the wiki effect, that the, the, the more people you have involved in a decision, um, the better that outcome will be, as long as the information is being controlled and disseminated selectively. Um, and uh, so I like the process, and I think if this makes it to a ballot, we just have, um, and and I think if it's done right, we win because of what mm-hmm. I just because of what I just said because the science, the biology, the data is on our side, um, and I, I truly believe that the vast majority of people make a good decision when presented well, I think with all Colorado the Colorado specifically has the wolf ballot as a case in point. And that there's a you know there's some data to show that if it was to be rerun right now, with the post sort of education effort, that they would be a, a no vote. And because we've got such a long road in front of us with this, and everyone is pulling in the same direction, there's going to be a flood of what you're talking about of education and awareness in 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 places that we probably never thought about in the wolf ballot. And to, to your point, and that's, that's the key. To me, I think we've got, we're, we're in a much better place now. And again, we weren't involved in that wolf ballot initiative until like late in, this, in the game. But I feel like we're just, you know, we are behind the curve, quote unquote, in terms of the, the proponents, but we're also ahead of the curve in terms of where we've been in the past. 
they're also huge. There's, there's also a drastic difference in the, in the wolf ballot initiative and the cat ballot initiative. And one is, to me, it's a much harder argument to make that we should never have wolves in Colorado compared to, look, we have a really healthy and growing cat population that we're managing and keeping conflict to a minimum, right? Like, like I think, does that, that make sense what I'm saying? Like, I would much rather be the person in charge of campaigning for let's keep successfully managing cats as opposed to being the person in charge of campaigning for we should never have wolves in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's the way that was presented. I know there was people on the no vote side of the wolf thing who weren't completely opposed to there being wolves in Colorado. They were just opposed to the state forcing it to happen. Um, right. But that the way it was perceived by the yes vote people on the wolf thing was you all hate wolves and you don't ever want there to be any you know, because of X, Y, and Z. There's, I believe that the cat thing is much more winnable thing because all we're asking you to do is vote no on the ban on trophy hunting so that we can continue to successfully manage a healthy population of cats, right? Like, it's, it, it's, it's not as much of a conundrum and I'll call out the wolf people too. There was a lot of people who would have voted the same way I would have voted. I, I did vote on the wolf thing. Um, you've got to get out of your echo chambers, right? Uh -huh. Like the Western Slope Cattlemen's Association meetings we're not the place to be spending your time convincing people to vote no on the wolf initiative. Somebody is going to have to go set up a folding table in Denver and Boulder and say, you know, make that, you know, the meme on the internet, make a sign, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make a sign that says cat hunting is good, change my mind. We're going to have to do those type of things. And then we're going to have to have civil conversations with people and not <laughs> yell and scream and tell them I'll kill whatever I want. And we, we, it, we have to be, and not because we're going to change the minds of that 10% that is already going to vote. Yes. But because we need to change the minds of the 80% in the middle of who don't ever think about cat hunting ever. And, and we're not going to do that without uh, a little bit of class and data. Hundred percent. That is the path forward. Gentlemanly, cordial, civil conversations, presenting the data, presenting this is what this is going to look like. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, one of the narratives that I've been thinking a lot about, Cody, is when you look across the states, like what states allow mountain lion hunting and what states or state only have banned it, and that's California. We have one example of what happens after a ban. And this ban, what, what I think is one of the, the, the key points here that I think is going to be is subliminal in its messaging is that the idea of the, the, the banning of trophy hunting equals the fact that no cats are going to die anymore. And unfortunately, the only example we have shows the opposite. And, and here's the other kicker, is that lion houndsmen that currently pay the state to sustainably manage lions will likely, if a ban gets put in place, will likely then be called up by the state to deal with lions that they need removed and are being paid 
by taxpayer dollars to do that work. So to me, there's, that is a very strong message. Not, and we don't have to say it in a strong manner. We just need to say it in a matter-of-fact manner and in an emotional manner too. That is, this idea that the banning of hunting is going to save lions from being killed is a complete fallacy. Right. There'll be more lions dying and more tax dollars spent. That's what a yes vote is going to accomplish on this ban. I mean, and that's not just rhetoric from a couple of guys that hunt. That's literal, Based on actual the only... data supported by the state of California. The only time this has ever happened, that it's been a complete ban. This is exactly what happened, has happened. And I, I continue to, it kind of feels sometimes like I'm on an island, but I think what you lose in the habitualization part of it. Cat hunters chase a lot. Not, not, they don't chase a lot of cats in terms of great numbers, but a good percentage of the cats that they chase away from human popula- population and put a little bit of fear of humans into them, they don't harvest. That's why the numbers went up in California, right? That's why the, the mortality went up in California. It's because there was zero habitualization, zero effort whatsoever. You eliminate counting. No, I don't, with this, we don't have that data. We don't have that data. Oh, no, no. I, I okay, think, no, that I think part of it, I think I'm assuming. Uh, that's an assumption on my part. Granted, yes, I, I should have stated that. But I think, I think it's true. I, I, I think there's some sense to it. I've been on cat hunts where we didn't harvest the cat because, you know, when we got to the tree, it was a female or it was, it was a, it was a juvenile animal. Um, and I think it makes sense that that cat is less likely to come around humans for an amount of time after the chase. Like that cat is like, oh, people, I should stay away from people because they're going to chase me. Um, I truly believe that with that and the wolves, that habitualization and human beings doing their part, um, we have we have uh, circumstantial or qualitative data around bears to support that. Um, that when you can't run them with dogs and you can't do the things that effectively allow hunters to manage bear populations, bear conflicts rise drastically. Um, I think I think that's a big part of it as well. And you're you're right. We don't have the data on that, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's it's certainly a mo- it's probably one of the most controversial. Um, uh, controversial is the wrong word. It's some it's one of the the um, things that we don't know exactly. The role of hunting plays on, the whole like scaring animals away from humans or making um, them less engaging from a human-wildlife conflict. There's, there's examples are to, to say yes. There's examples to say no. There's a great um, a piece of body of work that's being done right now by, I can't remember Bart's last name. Is it Bart Gregory? Um, but Bart's his name is in Washington State. He's working with one of the Indian Nation uh, tribes there um, using pack hounds to... Um, haze mountain lions that come into communities. And I think he's seeing some great success from that work. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's certainly something to th- think about, something to talk about. Um, there's obviously a slew of, of variables that come into you know, the whole California scenario. One of them being maybe what you, what you indicated. Uh, you've also got an, a rapidly expanding population of people that like their mountain homes and like their sort of locavore little farm units up in the mountains that are certainly mountain lion habitat. And so those uh, point touches, those, those, those touch points, points of engagement are increasing over time and certainly also play a factor in increased mountain lion mortality. And that would happen in Colorado as well. People are constantly coming to the state of Colorado 
constantly building up into the mountains. You know, you're a case in point. You, you, you bought a house up in the mountains, up in the habitat that certainly could hold mountain lions. But that's it, man. Good stuff. Good big, two big controversial topics uh, that are not going away anytime soon. Uh, we'll keep our nose to the grindstone in terms of understanding them, pushing out the best information we can, holding each other accountable to our thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, yeah, I love it. Good stuff. You want to tell everyone where you're fishing today so that they know where to find you? Colorado. <laughs> All right, enjoy. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.